Hi everyone, William here. First off, I'd like to thank you for taking time to listen to the NSFW podcast. I've been trying to find interesting things and entertaining topics to talk about with different people from different backgrounds, different industries, things like that. And thanks to some feedback I've been receiving, I think we're going to have a lot of fun over the next few weeks. I'd also like to thank everyone who has subscribed to the podcast through Patreon. With your support, I'll be able to record more often and create more engaging non-podcast-specific content, such as digital art, music, and maybe eventually a video podcast version of these recordings. For those of you who haven't subscribed on Patreon, please check out patreon.com Faraday, and please consider supporting this project. There's some cool monthly rewards I'm working on for everyone who pledges at the $5, $10, and $25 a month levels. And the first batch of these rewards are going to be shipping out sometime in March. You can even follow the Patreon feed and comment on posts without making a monetary pledge. So that's pretty cool. This helps me figure out what the audience wants to hear more about and what's too far out there. If we go a little too out in the weeds or get a little too not safe for work. Again, that's patreon.com slash Faraday to find out more. Thanks for listening and on with the show. So hey Grant, how how you hit a bit of words? Take two words. <laughs> words. I'm. It's it's late. So yeah, it is. I'm, yeah, we'll power uh, through have, this. Yeah, how have you been? I've been good. How are you? I'm been busy. I've been a lot busier than I thought I was going to end up being this month. Um, which is why I've been having delays with recording and getting like wrangling cats to get other people to record with me. Mm-hmm. So, and you know, like today, I, I was sitting around going, "Hey, here was something I was wanting to talk about, and I thought Grant would be a great person." So that's whenever I messaged you to to see if you wanted to chat about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so, I'm glad we got to get together and do this. No, yeah, absolutely. Um, I know uh, as of today, and I I wasn't quite sure if I was going to actually openly admit to this. But as of today, um, this episode of the podcast is going to be episode uh, five, and episode three hasn't been released yet. Episode four, I'm going to record tomorrow, um, and it's just based on like current events and things like that. And subject matter for tonight is just something I was thinking about that I've been thinking about for the last month and a half, and mm-hmm. so it doesn't really fall into current events so much. Um, and there's a couple people that I know that I want to try to talk to over the next month or so that those also fall into specific date time scenarios that I need to, uh, again, go and wrangle cats to get things together. So yeah. who knows if it'll actually happen, but well, I'm it's, trying. It's not bad to have an episode in the bag anyway. So even exactly. if it doesn't go up for a while, um, yeah. if you miss a week, then you have one. Yeah. Yeah, and, and uh, I've been this, this topic is certainly evergreen, so yeah, it's yeah like, exactly. It's not topical at all, which is great. I've I've been debating whether or not to uh, to go through and try to do things like spoiler casts for different movies that have come out that I've been watching. I've tried to watch or TV shows or whatever, and just get different nerdy friends of mine together who might have have watched something or might have something interesting to say. So, and I guess that brings us to the the topic of conversation tonight and what I wanted to to get your thoughts on um, was in regards to this last fall, there was a television show that debuted on HBO. That's kind of, I guess, the fall counterpart or the fall show that 
takes place of Game of Thrones, which is the HBO kind of spring summer show. Um, and this fall it was Westworld, and the first season debuted, and uh, ten episodes, about an hour for each episode, except for the pilot, which was about an hour and a half, and. Uh, it's based on a Michael Crichton novel from the 70s, which he went went to write and direct a movie on. Um, yeah, so I had some thoughts on this, especially because of how the development of the, the show went. So, yeah. And you said that you've had a chance to go through and, and watch it all. Did you go through and see episode by episode, like, or did you go and wait till it was over and binge watch all 10? Uh, I watched it while it was airing. So I pretty much saw everything either the night it came out or like within that week. Um, so, but I, I haven't, you know, I haven't watched it since it ended. So I'm going to be a little bit rusty on like names and stuff, but uh, I should oh, be yeah, okay. Me too. Like I still remember the show pretty well. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I'm in the same boat as you are with that because I... Uh, I... <laughs> I'm not the sort of person that's going to go through and especially something that's that large of a chunk of, uh, I consider film and, uh, and television show part of literature because it has to be written before it's acted out. So, um, a 10 hour performed piece of literature, um, whether it's a stage play or it's a television show or a series of films, I'm probably not going to go back through and watch it again within a month or two and it only ended um coming out or uh debuting like not even six weeks ago mm -hmm. so um so the the stuff that i was thinking about that i wanted to kind of chat with you about is uh during their development they the writers uh i guess christopher nolan christopher nolan or no jonathan nolan excuse me mm -hmm. the other one uh, the american brother uh jonathan nolan and his wife uh, who are the the primary showrunners for it? Uh, they were looking at stuff like game theory because of the structure of how they were writing Westworld as uh, an amusement park, so to speak, uh, as an experience for guests to come in. And I found that really fascinating, uh, especially after you know the last ten years of playing games like uh, World of Warcraft, and most more more recently for me. Uh, I jumped into playing, uh, was it Star Wars: The Old Republic, and kind of like, like I guess trying to wrap my head around the idea of what if I could physically step into one of these worlds and uh, be just as in control as I am in normal reality, uh, be like that in one of these uh, alternate realities or these alternate worlds. And I, I found this idea fascinating. Um, yeah. Well, so let me let me tell you about my like initial thoughts about this show as someone who does like game dev stuff. Okay. Like it really caught my attention starting off because the first episode or two are really about like level design and leading the player, mm -hmm. um, showing players different opportunities, and then you kind of see the loop in time of when those opportunities reset and people get another chance at it. And you know, throughout the show, like, ultimately, the the main characters follow along one of these paths that mm. is, like, pre-directed, you know? Like, even if they don't know it, it's still, like, all part of the plan or whatever. Yeah. But um, because that was the stuff that got me interested in the first place, like, I really um, kind of soured on the show a lot uh, once it kind of dropped those themes and ideas and just became, like, this 
character like sci-fi procedural <laughs> drama i guess um I, I mean it's like it was still like a fun ride i still liked watching it and stuff but like uh you know in that first like episode or two i was like oh man this is like my show this is this is for me like it's about the things i care about the things i think about and um like some of my dad's friends uh came to la from hawaii and so they're huge like disney fans so they wanted to go to disneyland mm. and like i uh I like asked my dad to like hitch along with them just because like I was so enthusiastic about this idea of a, you know, like a theme park being a very like similar idea to level design and to game dev or player experience. Um, so yeah. Well, how did that, how did that end up going? Um, well, it's, it's cool. Like I know about like the weird level design tricks and stuff that they use in Disneyland kind of going into it. So like being able to observe that stuff was neat. Like, you know, like when you go from one world to another, like going from like the main plaza to um, the Wild West area of Disneyland, there's always like a break in sight line. So as you fully become immersed in one area, you like lose track of the last area. It's usually like just like a little curve or something. Yeah. I was going to ask, is it like just going around a corner and as you go around that corner, it's like you've gone through a a portal into this other, other realm. Yeah. That's, that's the basic idea. It's like, as your peripheral vision is filled with this new area, if you turn around, um, you can't really see the last place. There's like lots of little like S curves as you walk around, which mm-hmm. is something you use in games to hide loading. <laughs> you know, you <laughs> unload one area as you go around a corner and then you load in the next area. And then that's how you like manage memory and, you know, don't burn up your graphics card. Or, um, or you force the player to go through a tunnel. And while they're in the tunnel, it's unloading the, the location where they have just been and, and starting to load the next uh, area. That is the something exact like that, idea. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, like, they do stuff like that, which is really cool. And, of course, like, the park isn't unloading behind you, but mm-hmm. it keeps you immersed. Um, another cool thing they do is um, the music going from zone to zone is always in the same key in the same way that, like, a casino, all the uh, slot machines have the same, like, tone. So when okay. you walk into a casino, it's like this um, super uh warm sound because there's no dissonance everything's just Mm -hmm. making this one really nice warm noise even though everything's like doing its own thing it all just like works together um the same thing happens at disneyland but all the music is um in the same key and it's also Mm -hmm. in the same tempo so as you walk from one zone to the next you might hear the theme of the two zones at once but um there's no discordance it's always just this like smooth transition from one to the next so yeah they they do like a lot of cool stuff like that um and so yeah getting to see that stuff in practice is like really inspiring for like level design and yeah it's it's cool stuff but um when westworld started out it i i was really hoping they'd kind of like dig in their heels and kind of 
use the story of the designers, it was clear there were like two storylines. There's the story of the designers and the operators, administrators of the park, Mm -hmm. and then of the actual characters. And I was hoping that the uh, story of the designers would be kind of about how uh, Ford was like making this new experience and the thought process behind it and like pushback from other people, um, you know, like designing by committee and whatnot or versus designing by individual, like the kind mm-hmm. of stuff you'd come across in game design or whatever, or just like design in general, I guess. Um, but, you know, like it was very quickly clear that that was not going to be the case. And, um, you know, like the, it was the human's job to be like the intrigue and the confused party in the story. And then the mm-hmm. robot's job to, you know, push things along. Yeah. And to, to guide from, from one area to the next and to almost be like a chaperone. Exactly. Yeah. So, well, so yeah, that, that was kind of my general takeaway, uh, of the show and i i do think it paid off in the end i thought it was pretty clever um but i was just kind of disappointed that like what initially got my interest and it was like you know like after the first week or two i was like talking to so many people about the show and i was like oh this is great these are like the things i think about this is what i care about i hope you like it because that means that like i can talk to you about this Mm -hmm, but then mm -hmm. after that it was just kind of like okay well I'm not so hot on it anymore. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, like the like not talking about the I guess the the design of, uh, you know, part of the the, the environment, which is the the storylines and stuff like that. Whenever we're talking about the show, I think we we can separate that from the rules in which they, uh, the writers created the show, or, or specifically the um. Was the name of the uh, the little town uh, Sweetwater? Mm-hmm. Um, the way that they designed Sweetwater to function within this world that they're that they're putting together for an audience, uh, which is us sitting at home watching it on television. Um, I think we can separate the uh, an, uh, analyzing that world from you know the the overall story that they were trying to tell in the ten episode television show, and. I guess I probably, and I, I think you and I agree on this, um, that maybe understanding the, the basis in which this, uh, this story takes place is probably more interesting than that story was, even though that story is, you know, it's, it's pretty compelling to try to understand how, um, artificial, artificial intelligence can, uh, develop itself into sentience and and whatnot but there's a lot of uh i guess there's a lot of liberty that the show takes of uh suspension of belief and like oh well these robots they've been programmed to be able to learn and eventually they they develop a con- their own consciousness and memory and things like that and they start making their own decisions about how they want to go about doing whatever mm-hmm. so I mean, and but but beyond that, like taking the idea of uh, someone visiting a resort that has been specifically designed so that you can immerse yourself into it and it is like an alternate reality. I think that is like you talking about Disneyland. The, I I actually haven't been to Disneyland in Los Angeles or in Anaheim, uh, but a year and some change ago, Alexis and I 
visited some friends who live uh, in Sarasota, Florida, and we drove over to Orlando mm-hmm. and spent two days in, uh, was it uh, Hollywood Studio? Was it Hollywood Studios or? Universal the, Studios? Well, we did Universal a couple of years ago, but we, we only did Disney this time. Mm-hmm. And one of the, and there's like four or five parks. Oh yeah, I don't know did, all the parks over there. Yeah, well, we only did three of them. We did the one that has Star Tours, Mm-hmm. Uh, because we wanted to go and see all the Star Wars stuff before For- The Force Awakens came out. And then we did Epcot, which was fantastic. And then we did Magic Kingdom, which we actually didn't get to spend as, mu- as much time there as we wanted to. Because we ended up spending too much time at Epcot uh, on on the second day. Uh, like, we spent half the day at Hollywood Studios, half the day at Epcot the first day. And then the second day, we sp- spent more than half the day at Epcot. And then tried to wrap the evening into doing uh, Magic Kingdom. And in the middle of the second day, it just started pouring rain. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like, so bad. Like, I don't know if you've been having the same sort of torrential downpours that we've been having this last week. uh, Because you're in L.A. and I'm up here in the Bay Area. But it's so bad that whenever I'm driving home uh, on some nights, I have to slow down to something like 25 miles an hour. Mm -hmm. Because I can't see even with my windshield wipers on high. Yeah. Uh, it, it's it, it's pouring that hard. It was that bad today. Like, it hasn't really been that bad up to this point, but today, like, all the streets were flooded. It yeah. was, the, the rain was so thick. Yeah, it was the same thing. Like, my wipers were on all the way, and it was just doing nothing. Yeah. Well, so, when we were in Disney, um, the... I the the rules in which that they are building out the park like what you're saying about you know you go around an S curve and then you you've transported uh, been transported from uh, one theme to another you go from downtown Disney into uh, the Wild West um, section of the park or you go into the the Land of Tomorrow or whatever mm-hmm. uh, with within Epcot because of how Epcot is structured they they weren't doing that because it's all built around a big lake. So it's it's like a circular path that you go, uh, and it's like country after country after country, like themed, like smaller little bits, mm-hmm. and and those are all super cool. But you know, those are specifically uh, they they intermingle with each other. There there's a definite line between uh, you know like Norway and um, uh, Central America, and I think those are pretty close to each other. And then, then to to Germany, and then to uh, France, and then to Morocco, and and things like that. Uh, but they are within. You can you do have the the line of sight where you do see everything, and then you turn around and you see the big sphere uh, that's at the front of Epcot on the other side of the lake and stuff like that. But when we were in Magic Kingdom, uh, we only we only had a chance to check out Downtown Disney. We saw both sides of the castle, like where they have like the fantasy area and then we did a couple rides over in the wild west area and they definitely had the same sort of thing as what you're talking about so Mm -hmm. the the imagineers who who designed uh orlando were definitely taking it off of uh off what they've been doing able to do in um in anaheim and we like i said a couple years ago we did universal studios and universal studios uh we did islands of islands of adventure uh, which is a separate park than the actual Universal Studios park. But that's because we wanted to go to Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's also situa- situated around a giant lake. And so it is park, like smaller park, smaller park, smaller park, smaller park. And you can see each 
like each one from all of the other ones, but only if you are on the side of whatever world that is that is right there on the lake. So it's kind of it's kind of interesting. <clears throat> yeah. Well, so I've I went to Disney World when I was way younger. Like I don't really remember it, but I do remember it being bigger than Disneyland. Um, oh yeah. And I think that's partially because it, like Disneyland, is constrained by the way it was built a long, long time ago. Like yeah. the reason that they have the liberties to be, you know, claustrophobic and kind of like use space like that like breaks break line of sight with weird curves mm-hmm. and stuff it's because the pathways aren't really built for the amount of people that are there mm-hmm. um it it that park can sell out in a way that i don't know if they ever sell out the park in florida um it i know it was re- it, like we were there in middle of september like after school has started so mm-hmm. you d- wouldn't assume that there'd be a lot of families there on like a Tuesday or a Wednesday, but this place was packed. Mm-hmm. Um, like there are a couple, like we had to wait for, for the, the trams to get from park to park and we had to wait for the buses because there were so many damn people. Um, yeah. So, so it, it, it's definitely something that, that, you know, they, I guess it's because, you know, like Disneyland is the West coast, um, Disney destination and when we say west, it's like west of the Rockies, and Disney World is east of the Rockies, and that that's really where you know two thirds of the the states are going to end up going if they want to do a Disney type adventure or Disney type ex- of experience. Yeah, I I mean it's just Disneyland's old, you know. It's like <laughs> yeah. they they update it and they add more to it. There's a second park there now, but it's still like they only have so much room. They can't like totally nuke an area uh because there's so many rides like built up there they'd have to like get rid of a bunch of rides to do that and and that's what they're trying to do right now because they're building out all the star wars stuff they're doing that actually in both parks in so in disneyland um they i saw the area that they're building it um Mm -hmm. it's kind of in like a back corner of the park it's kind of a weird area um but it's in an area where there was only parking previously. Like, okay. I don't think they actually wrecked anything to do this. If they did, it was this, like, um, animatronic show called the Country Time Bear Jamboree or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot yeah, about that one. That's right near Splash Mountain. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't even know. Like, I didn't go all the way over there. I just saw that space. Um, I don't remember where I was. I was somewhere high up, and I was able to see it. Um but uh, what's it called? Yeah, I don't think they actually had to wreck anything to do that. But it, it didn't seem like a huge area, too. You know, like it's not mm-hmm. nowhere as big as like what Tomorrowland is at that park. Yeah. Yeah, Tomorrowland is huge. Uh, I know at Disney World, the the section that they're tearing out for uh, for the Star Wars park, it, it, it in itself. OK, so first off, it's going to be part of the Hollywood Studios. Mm-hmm. If that is what it's called, um, it's going to be part of Hollywood Studios, and they're they they're like tearing out almost a third of that park to build out the Star Wars attraction, wow. and it, it's going to be fucking huge. And the the stuff that they're taking out, um, was really boring, and they really weren't doing anything with it. It's like there's a um like Hollywood backlot area, and then there was like a separate section where they would have people like have stunt drivers drive around 
um, and it was like sponsored by Hot Wheels. Uh, you, they would drive around these cars and do stunts and jump them over ramps and through hoops of fire and, and stuff like that, like over near uh, where they had the Indiana Jones uh, adventure area where they, mm-hmm. they have like the the uh, actors play out the, the rescue scenes from Raiders of the Lost Ark and, and stuff like that. So, it, yeah, it's definitely going to be real, real big in Florida. Uh, and I, it's because they have so much space to actually work with. And I mean, that's so Orlando is pretty much built around Disney. And I'm pretty sure that after Disney World started uh, being an attraction there, Orlando as a, as a town had like started growing to help support that park. And then the additional parks that other companies started building out like Universal. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's in the middle of a fucking swamp. So if you ever go out there again, it's middle of the swamp. Don't go out in the middle of the summer because it's going to be hottest balls. Mm-hmm. Um, like everything that we've we've talked to our cousins out there, the best time to be going out to parks is probably in like January uh, or February because uh, park attendance drops because mm-hmm. people are in school and because it's middle of the winter in most places. But Florida, you know, stays pretty mild, stays in the seventies. Uh, but that's probably the best time to go. And mm-hmm. when. When we were there, like I said, it was September, so it was still really, really hot. But uh, it'll it'll be just the the scale because they have so much space. Like each one of the parks is probably about two miles from the other one. And mm-hmm. if I remember correctly, it's like like almost in like a pentagon shaped, like where each one is. Like you you come in, there's huge parking areas outside of each one of them. There's like Animal Kingdom, Hollywood Studios, Epcot. Um, Magic Kingdom, and I think there was another one that was like animation. Uh, it's based on, and there's a bunch of stuff from Pixar and old school animated Disney stuff, and it's a separate little little park area, but and it's really small. But like you come in, and it's almost like a big loop. So they have the the uh, what is it the the tram that goes between each one of these. That is kind of like that iconic. It's on. Uh, it's raised raised three stories up in the air, and it's mm-hmm. like a bullet train thing that goes around. But it's real slow. The monorail. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's real slow. It doesn't fit a lot of people, so they have several of them going at any given time that go between the parks. And yeah, it's the place is huge, and everything is really spread out because they could. And mm-hmm. so, uh, is if if you want to do Star Wars and you want to have that experience then that might be the way to do it if you're on the east coast if yeah if you if you randomly find yourself in orlando mm-hmm. then in, in about five years then the star wars part of hollywood studios might be worth your time to go check out i had but, a friend from la who was living in tampa for a while and i actually yeah. went and visited him there um a couple years ago but he he moved moved back here now he actually lived in san francisco too for a while mm-hmm. um but yeah, he was my one reason to ever go to Florida, and I lost him. <laughs> <laughs> I've got uh, we've so we've got our cousins who live in Sarasota, and I've got one of my best friends who lives in Tampa, uh, and like somebody from my hometown who moved out there uh, a couple years after I moved out here to California. And so if I like, so we do have people to to visit whenever like if we decide to go out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but be, due to like that that trip last year was it was really taxing and ve- it wasn't relaxing because there was so much that we were trying to get done and the 
the flights were terrible and we came back t- more tired than when when we left so mm-hmm. i don't so, know when we're gonna go back again and if we do i think it's just gonna be alexis and i going okay let's the two of us go to this park we're not gonna take anybody else with us yeah some vacations are like that though yeah yeah i'm well, i'm so, actually curious about the um what's it called the harry potter stuff i'm not like a huge potter person or anything the wizarding but, uh, world of harry potter yeah yeah I, I've, I've heard it's pretty amazing and we have we have it here at the Universal in Hollywood, but apparently it's mm-hmm. super small. And it's like the one in Florida, it's like half of it is in each park. And then you like take the train to go between them or something. Uh, I mean, so we went in very early 2012. So that mm-hmm. January for Alexis's birthday. And at the time it was one, it was only in one park. Was it only the Hogwarts side or yeah, the town yeah, it was side? All, well, it's both of them. They were both. They're both next to each other. Like oh. so, whenever you come in, um, so think of it like this. So think it, it's on the edge of a circle, and that circle is the lake. Mm-hmm. Uh, and on one side of it, uh, like go, going around the circle in one direction, you have Jurassic Park, mm-hmm. which I think they're revamping to be the whole Jurassic World experience, which is fine because. That's awesome. And it was a really, really great park, even though no one was in Jurassic Park. Everyone was in the Wizarding World. And mm-hmm. then on the other side is, like, the Adventures of Sinbad. Hmm. So it it has, like, a this Middle Eastern theme to it, and there's, like, genies and uh, sea monsters, and, like, you're, there, there's different, uh, like, sailing ships that are styled after um, the antique... Uh, middle eastern ships that were used for trading and you know like a millennia ago and stuff like Mm -hmm. that so um most people in the park were like they would come in they would kind of peruse through the other parks on their way to the wizarding world which was opposite side of that circle from the main gate and Mm -hmm. from like the like where you actually enter in and so you you go through like the marvel comics area uh and this like what's called like gasoline alley it's old um 1950s 60s uh sunday morning uh like cartoons in like the newspaper like though that that type of themed um rides and and characters and then you go through jurassic park and then into wizarding world and on the other side you had i think it was dr seuss and then the adventures of sinbad and then uh, you went into uh, Wizarding World, so and yeah, the the castle is not a real size, ca- well, a full size castle. You, I I know this is going to be coming as a mm-hmm. surprise to you. It's not full size. <laughs> yeah, but it, it is scaled in such a way that stand like when, when we took pictures, it looks like it's further back in the distance. So it so that's why the, it it looks as small as it does. Mm-hmm. So they they play with those sorts of things while you're there. And the actual, uh, the ride where you are, um, the, the ride was de- designed around the time of the fourth movie, um, called Goblet of Fire, where Harry is, you know, battling a dragon and stuff like that. So the ride, you are being chased, like you're on a broom, you're, you're not actually on a broom, you're in one of these, like, four-seater, um, rides where you, you're being dangled and your feet are dangling below you and the thing moves side to side, uh, forward, back, twists around, all sorts of crazy stuff. It's like um, a video but, screen kind of ride, though. Well, yeah. Well, it it no, it moves around, 
Huh. Like, it follows a track through, so it's inside the castle. Oh. Huh. And it follows a track like a normal, uh, like, roller coaster would through the castle, but as you're uh, being moved around, instead of facing forward the direction that you're going, there are times that the four of you, so think of one person on your left, one person on your right, that sort of thing, all of you get turned, like, to face the left or turn to face the right. Mm-hmm. And there's big video, like uh, projection screens of stuff, or there's like a, a, a giant dragon that comes out of the wall and like breathes uh, warm, misty, wet air on you. And it's kind of gross, but it's interesting that they were able to do that. Um, but it's really fast and it jerks you around a lot because the idea is that you're on a broom and you're following Harry through this being chased around by a dragon. Mm-hmm. But it was really, it was really cool, and it was really interesting that they were able to build all of that inside this little bitty castle. So that was kind of neat. And then the town was was amazing. Uh, there was so much detail put into every little thing. It was, I would say, oh, it's just like being in Hogsmeade, but you know, it's not that run down. It's definitely an amusement park, and everything is plastic. Yeah, I, but, I I've yeah, heard that really they've cool. I've heard that they committed to that in a way that Universal hasn't like committed to designing something well oh yeah it's like it's always been kind of like the second rate uh theme park i mean even la in la you know like when i was in elementary school because we live kind of near there Mm -hmm. i we would always have season passes and we'd just go you know like once a month or whatever Mm -hmm. but but it was always like it was clearly understood that this was like the bootleg disneyland (laughs) (laughs) it was just local you know yeah Um, yeah but yeah, it it sounds like they really did a good job with that stuff. I'm yeah, it, it's I, I'd be super I want curious to, go back to, to see it. It's definitely something I want I want to go back to and revisit at some point. And upon the event that Alexis and I end up, end up having kids, then that would be great to be able to take them sometime. Mm-hmm. Um, if if it's still that type of property that that uh, that the kids in ten or fifteen years are going to be into, so who knows? Yeah. Um, but it, so something I was wanting to to get your thoughts on in regards to what we were talking about with Westworld Mm -hmm. is so this is an environment that, um, that a customer guest opts to pay however much money, just like an amusement park. So this is why, how we're, uh, equating it to things like Disney and universal. They're paying so much money to go in and have this experience where they're immersed. They're wearing the clothes. They're interacting with, individuals as though they are actual real humans and the whole point is to not be able to tell the difference and yeah so is there any in regards to video games um over the last 15 years since uh the emergence of things like mmos uh starting with stuff like everquest and then world of warcraft and all the other ones that have have come up since then um are there any properties that you think would be really interesting or really kind of cool to be able to experience in that sort of way. And I, I have some follow-up ideas, um, on, you know, potentially what, what this could end up being, but yeah. Do you have any, any ideas that would, well, any, uh, any thoughts on what would be cool properties to be able to visit in that sort of way? Um, I don't know. I mean, generally like, I feel like video games um, kind of require different writing than other, like, film or TV. Like, 
I saw a lot of stuff in Westworld that reminded me of World of Warcraft, like where it's like dragging you around and um, leading you down these little like chains of things you can see, but you ultimately like end up back at a place that leads you on a new chain. You mean um, like the the hey, we're going to go out and go search for this outlaw. You you there, sir. You look like someone who who might want to come with us. You exactly. Like, yeah, yeah. That sort of thing. Okay. Like, um, like a quest giver standing there in front of a, a wanted sign. Okay. Exactly. And like I don't th- I don't know if you've played any of the more recent um World of Warcraft expansions, but like they have gone like now they will have NPCs that'll run with you to places that will be like the quest turn in. So it actually, you know, like it, it makes it more so you're like running around with someone, like someone's actually leading you places and less of like, okay, I just have to read this quest text and then look at where it is on my map and go there. So it, it actually, it like parallels, um, Westworld, like even harder. Um, and, like, that's a universe that I'd like to do that stuff in. Um, you know, like, I've really been into Overwatch and Overwatch's characters. Uh, that would be something that I'd like to experience more like that. Well, but but Overwatch is the... It's a, a first-person POV um, run-and-gun sort of uh, team deathmatch-style game, right? Yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah, it, it well, has no quest structure, nothing. It's okay. It's literally like Team Fortress 2. Like okay. it's an objective shooter. Yeah, but so what you're saying is that it, as a property based on the the stuff like character design and aesthetics and things like that, mm-hmm. that would be an interesting uh, type type of world to be able to visit to just kind of see how everything works or how everything everything looks and stuff like that. Is that what you're saying? Yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah, like the variety of levels, uh, the style of levels, like the world storytelling, the character interactions like even though it's just a shooter the characters will talk to each other um yeah and that stuff's really interesting it's just like it's super passive you you can have the game on mute and never notice any of it you can like play with the blinders and never notice any of the stuff in the world mm-hmm. um but there's actually a lot there uh that they definitely didn't need to put in there well as in as in they didn't need to put it in to make the game yeah, uh, for it fun and how it's working. But for it, it is, to be, but it, yeah, like a ahead. mechanically successful game, they didn't need to include any of this stuff, but mm-hmm. um, it makes it a lot more rich and okay. it feels more real uh, because they added lots of little details. Nice. Okay. Well, so I was, I was thinking, uh, well, okay, so beyond video games, uh, are there any like literary properties that would be something interesting to to be able to step into? I mean, um, we we talked about Snow Crash on the last uh, yeah the last yeah. podcast, which is probably I don't know maybe like my favorite book. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. yeah, I mean that would be tight. And like, there's lots of stuff in that book, like the raft that would be insane to like experience as if it was real. Um, you know, would be bananas. Would be to go and figure out a way to model it up mm-hmm. the entire raft and model it up with all the containers and all the different boats and like little dinghies that are attached to it mm-hmm. and the giant aircraft carrier in the middle and uh and like throw on a vr headset and actually just go and like walk around yeah whatever. that would be that would be bananas mm-hmm. that would be real crazy yeah um 
I secretly so, wish like the raft is in our future. <laughs> like I want a huge like pirate colony to just like float around in the Pacific. You know, you you get enough people, enough of the right people with the right amount of money, and you can probably figure something out. Mm-hmm. I'll um, work on that. And <laughs> well, it, hey, you know, if we have uh, if we have the the same sort of refugee crises that we've been having for the last couple of years, and people start you know trying to leave asia and the only way that they can get out of all that stuff is to you know some giant aircraft carrier that's going in circles around the pacific then maybe maybe that'll happen mm-hmm. so i mean it, it, it's amazing to me how prescient uh a lot of our science fiction from the last 25 or 30 years has been uh like like because okay so one thing that I find really funny about literature in regards to uh, trying to predict the future is that when our parents were children, the future that they were promised was the gleaming spires and uh, like this futuristic art deco style, uh, the Flash Gordon future with you know, like like the, I guess, think of uh, the Naboo ships from... Uh, Star Wars, The Phantom Menace. Like, mm-hmm. everything's glistening silver and aerodynamic and beautiful, and there's something really classic to it. And that's the future our parents were were promised. And then, starting in the late 70s, uh, we started seeing, late 70s, early 80s, we started seeing a change in regards to uh, things like film, which mm-hmm. is, you know, it's film, so it is the, the most visible type of, of literature that would be out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see a change that it goes from being that that type of and maybe we blame star wars for this because star wars started having that whole looked in feel and it mm-hmm. was really one of the first uh science fiction well science fiction fantasy properties that really really said you know what we don't need everything to look brand like super super uh like polished and futuristic and brand new and glistening or whatever uh they wanted thing. Lucas wanted stuff to look lived in. They wanted to look, you know, like the Millennium Falcon looks like a like a flying hunk of garbage, and it's all there's scorch marks on it and all sorts mm-hmm. of stuff. It's not a pretty ship. I mean, depending on who you're talking to, some people probably find the Millennium Falcon beautiful. I think it's a fantastic ship. I think it's fun. Um, but so we well, saw a chain. Go yeah, ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Blade Runner is the epitome of what you're talking about. That's, That's what like I was the get shift. Into. That's yeah. the shift. So yeah, right around the same, that time, which was was that eighty two? Yeah, it's it's okay. like seventy nine to eighty two. I don't know the exact yeah. year, but it's somewhere right in there. Yeah. So we see a change where the future that we start seeing, instead of being the um, the perfect future, the utopian future, we start seeing the dystopian future. Mm-hmm. We start seeing, you know, like capitalism run wild. And industry that, you know, the laws aren't strong enough to keep uh, companies from polluting the atmosphere. So, like, you have things like Highlander 2, The Quickening, where they have a protective bubble all the way around the planet. And it, it keeps out the, the rays from the sun and because the entire, like, the magnetic field has been stripped from the planet. Da-da-da-da-da, things like that. Mm-hmm. So... I find that I, I find that stuff really, really interesting. And I think it's... It, it's kind of fucking scary right now that we're starting to see some of these sort of things happening. Like what we're talking about with snow crash, the whole purpose of the raft was uh, so that refugees could flee Asia through like the Philippines and 
uh, Japan and things like that and get out to the raft. Mm-hmm. And the raft comes over to North America and they, they take their dinghies and they flee to North America and to Canada. Um, and they, they're refugees in North America all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing kind of s- something similar uh, based on the geopolitical nonsense that's going on. I shouldn't say nonsense. The problems, the very real problems um, that are happening in the Middle East. And so, I mean, it like knowing things like having read Snow Crash several times, thinking about stuff like that, kind of, kind of, it's kind of frightening. And then at the same time, thinking of like the idea of, uh, of burb claves and of independent companies mm-hmm. being able to be like, okay, well, here's this company's territory or here, like the, this company has come in and bought this one square mile. Yeah. And, and now they it's have, a like, nation state. Yeah. It's a nation state within Los Angeles. Yeah. And you have to have special permission to go into it. You have to show a badge that says that you are welcome there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they have their own independent security and their own independent police forces and, and things like that. And that's not quite happening yet, but mm-hmm. you, you, you kind of start looking around going, may, maybe that could end up happening. Like, you know, people like uh, our new president has, instead of using uh, just the secret service has his own, private security detail and it's like okay, other people might start getting that idea mm-hmm. <laughs> this stuff kind of kind of scares me yeah um but i mean so go ahead all that stuff Sorry. like i mean like the metal gear games i don't know if you've mm-hmm. ever played any of those i played some of the early ones like uh metal gear solid like the whole oh it's just a box yeah like as that <laughs> as that series goes along um the the stories kind of become more and more about like information and uh language and how changing those things and twerking those things change uh reality like even if even if the even if it's not real like the perception of it being changed is real and that kind of stuff has been uh rung super true to me this last year um because i mean it's like this last election was a straight up information war you know like there were people mm-hmm. who weren't getting the information that they needed to and there were people who were getting wrong information and that's that is what it is uh but yeah then my one other thought is just like um with all the like ai research stuff that's been going on this mm-hmm. last year and kind of like what a buzz i mean we don't have true ai or anything but that was like one of the big buzzwords at ces this year um and like the possible environmental deregulation stuff like Blade Runner is definitely looking realer to me yeah. in kind well, of a crazy way. Hey, hey, you, you, we are quickly approaching 2019 and you do live in Los Angeles. Yep. So we need to watch out for someone building a very large pyramid. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> okay. when, that, when that happens, we, we, know, we know shit's sitting in the fan. Yeah, I'll keep my um, eyes out. So with the... So with with that question that I asked you about what type of uh, what type of literature or games like what types of environments would be kind of interesting to experience in a Westworld sort of way, uh, the ones that I could think of um, most recently because I jumped on this bandwagon this fall, a couple years late, but uh, I started playing uh, Star Wars: The Old Republic, mm-hmm. and as so it's it's not canon apparently at this point. Uh, but there are some things that are being canonized due to books and things like that that Disney's putting out with Lucasfilm now. Uh, but I think, like, just 
like there's there is an aspect of the game that you can purchase your own um stronghold which is like your your own apartment mm-hmm. it's a big ass apartment and yeah. for certain amounts of of in-game currency you can purchase additional wings and like you end up with it this it's it's like the size of a mansion it's huge um but it's a big ass like home base and you can purchase uh furniture to go inside to go wherever inside of this place and you can say oh, i'm gonna turn this chair by four degrees this way i'm gonna push it back towards the wall a little you you have all these controls to do these things mm-hmm. and it, it there's i guess like going through and, and playing with those mechanics of that part of the game i started thinking how how awesome would this be to be able to put on a uh, head mounted display where whether it's uh like an oculus or 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 a vive uh or even one of the cheapo phone ones that just lets you see it in uh stereoscopic and just kind of like walk around and be able to feel like you're in this location that you're customizing to your own, uh, to your own. And it, 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 this does echo back to certain parts of snow crash, um, where the character hero protagonist, he and his friends who were the ones who actually developed this virtual reality world called the street. They have their own little side street that has their own little houses and, and, in in so for anyone who hasn't read snow crash it's fantastic go read it. it's by neil stevenson you can find it cheap um or listen to the audiobook which is just as good uh, but the main character hero protagonist is effectively for most of the book uh, homeless and living in a uh what is it like a, a storage like, container yeah or <sighs> i it's basically it, like a u-haul locker yeah that's what i'll say it, it like i it didn't come off as a storage container to me. It came as like a storage unit inside mm-hmm. of one of these buildings and other people are living in these as well. Um, so he effectively lives on like a, like a wooden pallet that he's turned into a bed and has power to plug in his uh, effectively like a laptop and to it has a head mounted display that he puts on and he can go into this virtual reality. And within the virtual reality, he has a giant fucking mansion because he's he's the developer who helped develop this entire environment, so he just gave himself a mansion, and it's uh, like old school Japanese architecture with sliding doors, and he has a he has an office and like a digital assistant inside, kind of like a like a Jarvis from Iron Man sort of thing. And there are other characters that have similar types of setups within this digital world. Uh, and whenever I was playing Star Wars, that. Uh, really reminded me of those scenes within Snow Crash. And I started thinking about how how could we utilize this type of technology to be an extension of our actual physical reality. Mm-hmm. Like you go, you say, okay, well, I've, I'm going to go and go to the office, so to speak. You throw on a head-mounted display, you have some sort of gloves that work in virtual reality, and uh, you have your keyboard, mouse, whatever. And whenever you go in-game, I'm going to use the term in-game. Whenever mm-hmm. you go in-game, then all of a sudden you are in this other environment that is, it's not, it doesn't physically take up space. It's just photons and electrons uh, and uh, like little magnetic pieces of whatever on wafers of silicon. And it's your sensory 
uh, your sets of, set of, uh, of senses going into this environment. You're saying, you know what, instead of have, living in a uh, storage locker, now I have a mansion. And, mm-hmm. it, you, and it doesn't cost the same. It, part of me wants to be really cynical and say that's the way that we're going to end up going. Where mm-hmm. everyone starts living in effectively studio apartments or pod apartments and stuff like that. Which there's some really cool cyberpunk style stuff in Japan that I think is fantastic. But at the same time, I don't really think that people were meant to live like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, for the, mo- for the vast majority of the time that humans have been around on this planet, we've lived in fucking caves. And it's only been the last few millennia that we've started not living in caves. So maybe it's, it's okay to live in you know, a small space, like a 10 by 10 by 10 sort of thing. But at the same time, you know, our our culture does not uh, celebrate living in a fucking cave. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so I thought that that the the Star Wars that environment was like very compelling about trying to say how can you further and enrich this experience and in going into this. Mm-hmm. And another environment that may be the one that I would want the fucking most, like. Oh, I would love to do this, and I would love for someone to please develop this so that we can go into virtual reality and actually do all the things. I would like to experience the environments that were built for the last Tron film. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I love the whole like glossy glass with electroluminescent detail on this, that, and the other thing. Mm-hmm. There's neon, and uh, it's. It's gorgeous. Yeah, I love it that look. It looks fucking fantastic, but oh, it's not real. Mm-hmm. And there's so much of of what we aesthetically could build into that. And, you know, it's been... That film came out in 2010. Um, so it's been six years and some change now uh, since that came out. And going back and watching that film, it looks a little bit dated. Mm-hmm. But not as much as you'd think after like six years, and I think when I think it's going to look a little bit dated at first, and then it's going to start looking like being prescient towards uh, where we develop things in the future because we're starting to go with more, more and more uh, materials made out of plastics and glass and translucence and shiny plastic and shiny plastic with uh, displays behind it and where. Um, Maybe any surface that you interact with might have some sort of uh, display behind it or some sort of user interface that you can start interacting with it. So I think that's a f- I think that would be fucking amazing to be able to jump into that mm-hmm. uh, in that and even further, because you know they did this in in uh, Anaheim at, at Disney. Uh, they actually built out um, the the whenever that film came out. They built out a huge section of it to be like Tron. Mm-hmm. And I never had a chance to check that out, but I think that would be a fantastic environment to be able to to immerse yourself in in a Westworld-style sort of way to where you can go and watch the, the light cycle races, um, where you can go and see the disc wars and, or, or go to the end-of-line bar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... <sighs> Yeah, I just, well, I mean, I'm very so, passionate about this. I think it would be fucking amazing. Yeah, for sure. So a couple thoughts. So I think like what you said about Tron, um, 
how it doesn't look great now. I don't think it has to because it still has like so much style. And mm-hmm. if you apply that style to something else, that'll always be evergreen, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like mm-hmm. like old Tron, like when was the old Tron? Eighties or seventies? Yeah, it's like eighty five. Yeah. Something like that. So like the difference between that and the new film, it's not that huge. Like they look stylistically different because one is like all analog effects versus mm-hmm. digital effects. But um or not even like analog. They were doing like weird film manipulation and stuff. It's it's crazy. Yeah. Um, but like those two just share that same, like super similar style. And I think that style is always going to like be true. Like it'll always look good. Um, so yeah, I think that would be a cool, cool thing to explore with player housing with like the old Republic. Mm -hmm. Um, player housing is a really, really interesting thing. And like on one hand, it's uh it's really sticky because it gets players invested into a game in a way that you can't if they don't have their own like space to personalize exactly but it also ruins uh mmo style games because it's like all of a sudden the cities are abandoned because everybody's in their own little spot Mm -hmm. um well i mean could the solution be that so i know with old republic one so one of the thing, some of the items that you can install within your uh, your home base are your bank vault and different types of merchants and things like that. Mm-hmm. Just take those out, leave those in the in the city areas. Mm-hmm. Just have the your home base be maybe a small storage area, and then uh, additional things, or have it to where you could. And I'm, I mean, I'm just dreaming here. Uh, mm-hmm. Where you could find items through your your adventures and have as trophies or knickknacks and doodads like, oh well, I I picked up this skull mm-hmm. from this cave. It was an object that I could pick up and put in my inventory. And I go back to my to my home base, and I take that out of my inventory, and I can physically place it on this tabletop. Mm-hmm. So you or or you have like a you can you have your own shelf of of items that is almost like a trophy shelf. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and it, well, it's just things that you've you've come across. Yeah. So um, so World of Warcraft basically did something super similar two expansions ago. They added in these things called garrisons that became yeah, yeah. your quest hub. You would like leave from there, go out into the world, do that stuff. Um, and they left out. Uh, like there wasn't an auction house available, so you still had to go to cities to use the auction house. But ultimately, players just hung out in that area. Like they, like they'd go and do stuff at the auction house or whatever, but they wouldn't ever stay in the cities. Where, like you know, like Iron Forge is always like the coolest spot. Like Iron Forge and Undercity are like the cool mm-hmm. spots to hang out. Um, like both of those places were just completely abandoned for that expansion. Um, so like it's, it had pretty much all the elements that you, you said like trophies, like functionality, you know, quest givers, like all that stuff. Um, but still it was like a, it, it was like this forced solo experience and you could invite other people to your garrison, but it was such a pain that no one would. Mm-hmm. So with this new expansion, they made something called class halls instead, um, and class halls, it's a very similar idea. It's like this 
uh, area that progresses as you progress through the quests. It grows. Uh, different things are built. You're able to interact with more things. There are trophies there. Um, but it's for your whole class instead. So, like, all the sudden... Everyone who's a druid or everyone who's yep, a warrior and yep. things like that. Okay. All the druids, like Moonglade, is their, um, their class order hall. Um, with but warlocks. that's always been like that, though. Um, like Moon Moonglade Moonglade's almost always been kind yeah. of for druids only. Yeah, but it's it's a different thing now. And now, okay. like warlocks have their own area too. That looks like you know, like a demon infested, weird like nether <laughs> cave. Like it's nice. it looks insane. Um, but it's it's nice because it's like all of a sudden there's people around again. And even if you're not hanging out in a mean city or anything, you're still seeing like a bunch of people you can talk to or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's cool. Um, but so we're player housing makes sense in, uh, VR. I think that's good, but the weird thing is like with, you know, so with working with information, with interacting with information, the most efficient way we have to do that is like a mouse and a keyboard, a static screen. Like it's it's quicker to look up something online and get results from Wikipedia than it is to walk around a library and find a book and then mm-hmm. look through the book and find the information, you know? Like one, you Google, you know, cats, and then you go to the cat's Wikipedia page and you command F and then you say like tabby and then you mm-hmm. have tabby information, you know? Where yeah. like you have to like look through a card catalog or I guess card catalogs don't exist anywhere. You have to look at like the index, the digital index at the library, mm-hmm. go find the book, pull it, look in the physical index of the book and then figure out the information or whatever. Um, with VR, like it doesn't make sense to make a virtual library. It's like you're going to be in this space and it can be bigger and that's good. It's like it's nice like to have a have your space around you be what you want it to be be like how you want it to look but still i i still feel like the interaction with information is still going to be pretty similar to what we have now with computers you're ultimately going to be looking at a computer screen in vr yeah yeah well it even if it's not actually a computer screen you're still going to be interacting with information in a in a pretty similar way well, like in 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 game, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Back to that term, in game. Um, like y- using your example here, instead of you know walking around a library trying to find a book, we're probably going to to find things like information the same way that we do right now, where we have some sort of mobile device. Mm-hmm. Like in in game, you r- like press a button, raise your hand, and then you speak a command or something like that. And this in game. Um, a version of an iPhone pops up and it it acts as a digital assistant and finds whatever you're looking for. So no, I, I'm in agreement with you on that. Like that that to me that makes sense. Um but the i guess it's the the fit I guess the physical interaction or or if anything just the aesthetic interaction. Like just being able to like I don't know so you and I are friends on the Super Mario Run, mm-hmm. and I noticed that you haven't played very much since it came out. Not you crazy about 30, that game. You have thirty-two toads. Don't think it's very good. <laughs> I love it. I have I have a lot of fun with it. 
But then again, it's one of those things that it's just kind of like it's like playing old school Super Mario Brothers to me. Like you're playing the same thing over and over and over again, and you're you're doing it because it is challenging in some way. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that aside, um, there is another app that Nintendo put out like a year ago called Mitomo. Mm-hmm. I think that's what it's called, and you could build your own little me in this game, and your me walks around his own little apartment or her own little apartment. And you can put a poster on the wall. And and that's where I'm getting into the customization sort of things. Like, just just the idea of being able to say, I want to hang a picture on a wall. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to have to interact with this space and to, you know, your stash is there, to use a term from Diablo. Your stash is there, or your your your, your own vault is in this location. You have you, you have to go to this to get things out of out of that inventory and put it in, take it with you to do something else. If I'm going to have to go to a place that technically is my own place, then I'm as, as a person who, uh, who does find things aesthetically pleasing and takes a little bit of pride in my own space, then maybe I'm going to want to put a picture on the wall or maybe I'm going to want to have a trophy on the shelf and things like that. And that's where it becomes important where it's, it's so that we remember the story that we have, achieved up to that point mm-hmm. or certain events or certain uh, achievements that we have uh, certain achievements that we have achieved uh things that achieve those yeah <laughs> but so we we things that we've gone through that we can say oh here's uh a dragon skull because i i downed a nixia mm-hmm. um here is a uh, a flaming stone because i took down deathwing or whatever and I think that, I mean, how is that any different than the reality that a lot of us live in today? It isn't. Uh, yeah. Well, as in, you're saying it's no different? No. It's like, I mean, I I uh, went to Hawaii and I brought back like a huge conch shell and that's sitting on top of my bookcase. I don't yeah. do anything with it. Like until <laughs> a couple of days ago, I hadn't thought about it until I saw someone planting succulents in like a huge shell and i was like oh mm-hmm. i could do that with my shell i don't do anything with that shell yeah um but that's just a trophy from a trip you know yeah. it's the same thing as anixia's had yeah well in like most of us the, the 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 place in which we live or we reside where we send our mail to um is the place where we prepare and eat food where we sleep where we bathe mm-hmm. and where we uh we spend time either alone or with people that we want to spend our own private time with and take that as whatever you mean i don't necessarily mean people going and fucking around Mm -hmm. um but yeah that's why we have our own spaces um there are plenty of people out in the world that they're completely happy to have uh roommates or to have housemates where they they maybe share that intimate space when i was in college uh i had a roommate who we shared a one bedroom apartment where he had the living room as his bedroom and I had the bedroom as mine. Mm-hmm. And we had like the French doors that slide open as pocket doors and disappear into the walls. And we would open it up all the time and it was, it turned into a shared space and we mm-hmm. would fucking play wow and uh, play Nintendo and shit like that. So, but, but what is that space really ultimately end up being? It, it was a place where we would sleep mm-hmm. or a place where we would, uh, play video games and spend our downtime and unwind. And for 
for things like virtual reality, whenever we like someone can have you know a physical location that is a ten foot by ten foot by ten foot, and you have a bunk that folds down off the wall like like a fucking prison cell. Let's let's be honest here. Mm-hmm. Like, like, and then and so that provides that physical natural need of like that biological need of that being. Mm-hmm. They have a need to sleep or they have a need to eat. Uh, you have a table that folds out and a refrigerator that's built into the wall. You could you could physically build all of that into a very, very small space. Mm-hmm. Like people do this on boats all the time. And then you could say, okay, well, I'm going to fold everything away. I'm going to open up all this square footage on the floor to move around and go in-game. And in-game is where you keep all of your trophies, is where you... Is where you uh, search out information or where you potentially have social interactions with others if you don't want to physically, biologically have social interactions with others. So I think it's a really powerful idea mm-hmm. um, to to look at things even in that, like, this is looking pretty far down the road. I'm, And by that, I mean, you know, five to ten years at least mm-hmm. to, for us to get to that point of people start being able to do that. But I mean, what's really scary is that that could be one of those futures that we're going to step into. I I don't think it's that scary because I think people could survive like that. And if people want to interact in that way, that's fine. I think in this, Fair if enough. you're living in cities, as cities get built up more and more, um, you know, space is going to come at a premium and it's going to start looking more like Tokyo where your apartment is, you know, hundred square feet. <laughs> And it's yeah. like, that's fine. You know, if you if you can live like that, that's fine. Um, but if people don't like that, they can move further outside of cities. Um, free, find a place where there still is a little bit of elbow room. And, and yeah, money. find some land. Like, you can find actual land. You don't need to be a renter if you move outside of a city. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, so for me, what I think is most interesting about VR is... Um, like, you know, one of the components you said is social interaction. Um, like, the most compelling VR experiences to me are things like Playroom. I don't know if you know about Playroom. Or no, I think it's called Rec Room, actually. And, it's, and this is this was, was for, I think it was for Oculus, where you can, like, pick up things and throw them at each other and, and like, pick up blocks and interact. But is that what it was, or...? I, so I think it was on Vive because it's okay. a room scale thing. Okay. Um, but yes, that's the basic idea. It's um, like the interactions are basically just like pick up things, throw things like you could pick up a racket and then play like uh, badminton with someone, you know, like super simple games that you'd like play in the real world, like physical games but like the interactions are limited and you're just, you can do those limited interactions, uh, which are basically just touch and stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. but like, so one of the really cool things about this game is if you give someone a high five, um, that's how you party up with someone. It's like this like real world interaction where you just like high five, you just do that action. And then it's like, you're partied with this person now. And that's interesting. That's really interesting. Yeah. It's, it's so cool and it's so clever. Um, but yeah, so like if you were to mix kind of like the current, um, kind of survival games, like whether that's Minecraft or Daisy or, Mm -hmm. um, 
or like Astroneer, where there's like not even really any danger in Astroneer. It's just kind of like a, a building things game. Um, but if you if you give someone like a world with simple interactions and simple rules and just let it be a social space, like I think that's super great. Like I think my, Minecraft in VR is way more compelling as a thing where you build a house and you invite someone there and you just like hang out and talk over like voiceover IP mm-hmm. and like, you know, you like maybe show them this like music player you made with like the jukebox or like whatever. It's not like actually the game. It's being able to like hang out with someone in a cool space and do simple things that are, are end up being pretty neat. Yeah. Like, well, like utilizing the, the technology to create a sandbox uh, that you, you and a well multiple individuals can interact in the same digital space or the same virtual space mm-hmm. though they are not actually located in the same physical real world space exactly that's what you're and, saying yeah yeah and it doesn't no. need to be a complex game or anything it's just like a place to hang out where funny things and fun things can happen um yeah and finding the balance uh between like actual game mechanics and game flow and uh that kind of space I, I think I think that what you're just now talking about is very very compelling, um, because it's it's taking this new technology that we're kind of on the forefront with, or that's finally being developed into to a real, real technology that consumers can buy and kind of start dicking around with, and it's taking the interactions that we've had for the last you know 15 years with MMOs, which mm-hmm. MMOs are extremely popular. Uh, popular, uh, I think that as people get older and they're non <laughs> out out of game uh their lives get more complex and they start they meet someone they have children and i mean just going with the you know pick, the white picket fence type story that that some mm-hmm. people might have um then you don't have as much time and well you have a career and you're making money and you know you're you're being a an active member of society that sort of stuff um you have less time to to spend in the digital spaces. Um, but I, I, I think that might change. I think that might, it, like the digital spaces might become more like, uh, it might turn into the digital space is where you go to work. Uh, and potentially you could say, Oh, I'm going to meet up with some friends after, after work tonight. And what is, what the fuck does that mean at that point? That means that you're going to party up with some people and you're going to go to and check out their Minecraft house. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you're being social. You're having those interactions, uh, but but I mean the me the the needs of the non of the analog world. I guess the needs of the analog world will, will be there, mm-hmm. and so we won't like people like you and I probably won't have as much um, bandwidth to be able to by bandwidth I mean time uh, to be able to have those types of experiences. Like I don't want to spend my entire life in a digital environment whenever. There are things, there are very real things that uh, I can be doing in the real world, in the analog world, mm-hmm. and and that's just my value set. And I and I think that those value sets might change. Like like the like birth rates are going down. Uh, I have a list of friends who they're married, uh, or they are long term committed relationships, and they they straight up say, "Fuck it, I don't want to have." I don't ever have kids. Mm-hmm. I just, you know, want to do my own thing and 
I mean, I go, okay, well, you're going to age. You're going to get older. How do you see this playing out? And I'm not saying, oh, kids are there to take care of you whenever you get old, but you know, how do you see your life playing out? At what point are you going to retire? At what point are you going to need other people to take care of you? Mm. Uh, and how do you foresee you know, those years going by? And, and maybe, maybe over the next century, we're going to see uh, children that are being born now grow up in an environment where the the digital worlds are just as real as the analog worlds and they decide that they only want to exist in the digital worlds and mm-hmm. somehow or another they're able to like think old school um uh what is it second life mm-hmm. where people were actually able to develop property within second life and sell it for real world money mm-hmm. there's a story almost 10 years ago where I read about some guy who actually made upwards of a million dollars just buying and trading digital property. And by that, I mean like plots of land in game Mm -hmm. Uh, and was able to, you know, buy a very, very large, nice house in what I'm referring to now as the analog world Mm -hmm. uh, because he was able to do all these things. And who's to say that we, we aren't going to be able to find and develop careers that the digital this digital world is the conduit from a, from our analog being to whatever task that we are accomplishing for compensation mm-hmm. uh, and then you know we come out of game for you know the biological needs and then we go back into game for the the intellectual needs or for mm-hmm. the career and and things like that yeah well, i think so so go, just go quick thought um like the our economy jobs are being lost mostly to automation like as much as people want to say that it's um it's like jobs being outsourced or whatever you know like one out of every 10 jobs that's outsourced uh, or for one every one out of every 10 jobs that's outsourced nine out of 10 are lost to automation um and so if that trend continues like we're gonna have to have like a serious think about our economy like there's going to have to be a living wage for everyone like mm-hmm. whether you're actually working or not and i think um i think like a vr life where either you're you're living your life just with tasks uh in games or whatever just to give you meaning and purpose like i think that's going to be a really important part of our society um yeah i i don't know i mean i I've, I've thought about that a lot um just kind well, of seeing the way things are going. Well, what if, what if, okay, so uh, birth rates, or at least here in the States, birth rates are, are slowing. Mm-hmm. Um, it, they've been slowing since the seven, the early 70s, whenever um, the birth control pill for women um, was first made legal and put on the market. Um, so, and in countries like Japan, the birth rate has been declining as well. And that's a, for Japan, that's a big fucking problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because they have a they have a very small population comparatively speaking and uh the population is aging very quickly but so but then you look at countries like china or like like india where they are their their population is growing like crazy mm-hmm. um but for for the sake of this for the this conversation um uh, just thinking about the united states um let's assume that the the birth rates continue to slow at what point do the birth rates and the death rates begin to match 
or that the death rates, like in Japan, the death rates have started to outnumber the birth rates, mm-hmm. then, then it's a very different economy at that point because you, you have potentially less labor than what is required. And by labor, I don't necessarily mean, you know, picking up a fucking hammer and banging on some rocks. Uh, I mean, uh, someone who is an engineer who is designing the machines that are going to do whatever the task is. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, this is assuming a closed system of the United States where uh, people are not being, uh, people are not uh, immigrating into the country to fill those types of roles. Mm-hmm. Which is what will happen. Um, but, you know, like I said, for the sake of argument. Uh, so at that point, whenever the, we, we, we will start seeing, like, like you said, a different economy. But what's going to happen is that, and I mean, I'm just trying to work this stuff out. I'm not actually being predictive. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so we're the the people going into a, a digital world to spend their time into um, do tasks to find meaning with their lives. I think there's less of a chance of that happening based on uh, things like birth rate, because as, as there's more things that necess- that might necessarily need to be done, then those roles may open up so that people do still do have those types of employment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I like really what we're talking about is just people finding meaning within their lives. Whether yeah. that meaning is, you know, you live to work or you become an artist or a musician or a doctor. And, you know, as as birth rates increase or as the population increases, I, it, I think it's just really going to be a, a change of uh, where the labor force ends up going. Uh, as with a larger population, you need a larger medical uh, staff mm-hmm. to to care for those people. Uh, you need... I mean, let's forget about consumerism and the desire to buy, 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 and own, own, own. Um, You still need to make clothing. And Mm -hmm. again, if the population is increasing, then... But automation. I guess what I'm getting at is that there are certain tasks that currently we don't see being able to be automated not to say that not to say that we can't start building robots that are almost as human as we are mm-hmm. that are like data from star trek and that can do all the things that we can do and therefore we can manufacture them at full uh you know 25 year old or similar to 25 year old development age and like start making factor like bu- filling factories with these androids that could definitely happen mm-hmm. um but as we have need for different, as we have need to to further develop economies in those types of ways, you still need uh, humans as uh, potentially as supervisors. Mm-hmm. And I mean, maybe maybe we're going to get to the point that it's uh, we welcome our robot overlords. And I, I think at that point, whenever the control, because this is what really what it comes down to, the control of what the destiny of, of humankind ends up being when, once that's wrestled away from our dangerous little hands, then, then that's a different type of conversation to have because the economy, then it doesn't fucking matter. 
Mm-hmm. Because well, then, it, but like, but I'm I'm not even talking about AI. I'm just talking about you know like where ten people would make a piece of clothing before. Uh, yeah. Now one machine makes that piece of clothing, and one person oversees that machine. Yeah, so yeah, where yeah. there were ten jobs, there's now one. Yeah, and it might even be there's just that one existed before because I was the supervisor of the ten people. So, yeah. um. Yeah, I I well, don't know. I I guess what I'm getting at with my argument is that the based on population growth and on on the the need for the need to provide the most basic needs to grow mm-hmm. food, which sure we can have like in the matrix, you've got the robots out in the fields effectively pulling fruit. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um like, like you know, maybe that something like that's going to happen. Um but with with population growth, we're still going to need to take care of ourselves, even if it's not doing things like manufacturing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, but but where where does it come in? Well, at what point do we say that we actually finally admit to ourselves that money is just an idea, and we have all of this automated? Like, really, what 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 what? what money comes down to is energy. And if everything is being driven by steel and electrons, uh, like, so you've got a robot made out of steel and whatever other minerals being powered by electrons to do a task over and over and over and over again. You don't have to give it food. You have to give it occasional maintenance of other types of minerals to keep it going. So you have, you know, a tech that has to come in and potentially that tech will be another robot you know, like a like Wally style, um, on the 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 spaceship, but you know, I'm, where'd my train of thought go with this? <laughs> I don't know. I can't help you. I can't bail yeah. you out of this one, Wall. No, no. Well, it. So, at what point do we? <sighs> fuck me. Not at what point do we fuck me? Uh, no. Um. At what, okay, so at what point do we finally admit that all of the labor has become free? Energy mm-hmm. is provided by solar, for instance, um, which, is all, which is on most of the day every day um, in, most, well, in some places. Um, if you have a 60-square-mile piece of the Earth collecting nothing but solar, one solid big chunk 60 square miles that'll provide energy for the entire fucking planet. Uh, all the electrical needs of the entire planet. So, um, at what point does that happen? And we have robots that pick our food. Robots that sew our clothes. Robots that do everything. And then we, we as biological entities, what do we spend our time doing? Because mm-hmm. then, money doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. the ener- energy is free. It's purely mm-hmm. free. And so we go, and and uh, the change of, of molecules and atoms to go from one thing to another, uh, to go from carbon in the air to becoming uh, an apple on a tree that you eat, and therefore becoming fertilizer for the tree, and then carbon in the air, the fertilizer becomes another apple, etc. You know, at, at what point do we go, okay, well, now we have no need for money. And maybe, maybe this is when we turn into Star Trek. Mm-hmm. maybe this is whenever we say, okay, we're going to set our sights on something else and something ambitious that we as humans are going to try to do. 
maybe we lose ourselves into the the digital space, or maybe we look at other uh, frontiers and other horizons that we want to spend our time. Maybe we do both. Maybe we do all of them. Mm-hmm. So, I th- I think it's a very interesting w- way to look at all like how uh, how we as as humans can interact with these types of experiences and these types of um realities like yeah. i like talking about this stuff i i i want i wanted to also bring in the idea of um uh like the the, the universe that was created by the wachowskis whenever they put out the matrix mm-hmm. um which it's it, it's effectively a digital world that people are born into and they never realize that they are part of at what point do we become that and are we that at this point? And that, that's been a question since that film came out and everyone starts going, oh, what if this really is the Matrix? Mm-hmm. So, well, and- I mean, I what I think is more interesting there is um, at one point, did the people opt into that? And also, um, are the robots that are maintaining this structure the good guys in the movie? Because why would you want to live in that world? And those are those are two diff- very different ideas, but like yeah. one of them is is like a short leap from where we are now, and it's basically like what we've been talking about for the last fifteen minutes. Mm-hmm. It's like as the world sucks, do you opt out of it? Do you choose to live somewhere else? That's even if it's not real, it's still like a nice place to live. And then the second thing is like, you know, it's like yeah, these people are like the people who come out of the matrix. They're like torn out of this reality that they know and care about or whatever. But then they live in this real shitty place. So like, is that good? Is that a, is that a good thing that like, like sure you're being lied to, but isn't that better than the alternative? Yeah. Well, I, I think that's one of the, one of the things that they were trying to ask within that, within the first matrix film, uh, like the cipher character, like selling out his entire crew because he's been out of the matrix for 20 years. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, you know what? What I realize is that this world out here fucking sucks. And that being in the matrix, at least even if you're being lied to, it's a better experience. And it's, it, it, it for whatever your personal values are, maybe it ends up being better for you as an individual. Um, and, and sure, we're, we're getting into like some way out in the weeds uh, philosophy and, and values and ethics and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I, I think it's, this, is, it, this is a valuable type of, of discussion that people need to start thinking about or a uh, conversation people need to start having with each other about, you know, how do they want the world around them to, to evolve and how do they want to interact with that world? Because you're about to have that option to -hmm. say, hey, you know what? I want to go live in Westworld because I think that's cooler than living in Los Angeles 2025. Mm -hmm. Uh, And maybe that's what you end up doing with your life. And like all that we ultimately all that we are is uh, what what is the the phrase that someone has used before? Uh, We are a ghost uh, trapped in a skeleton, well, riding a skeleton uh, encased in meat. That's all we are. Mm-hmm. And 
our consciousness, what is it really, wh where are we going to, what are we going to do with that consciousness? Are we going to, you know, flip burgers at Burger King and, and waste all that potential? Because a lot of people, I would, I would argue that most people have uh, a, a near equal level of potential at birth, <coughs> uh, depending on their birth circumstances, like whether or not they're born into money or whatnot. Assuming that everyone is born with the same uh, base experience, like, or everyone who is born to a similar experience will have an equal amount of, uh, of potential with their life. You know, what are we going to do with that? And I, I think, I think this stuff is, is something we're really going to have to start thinking about. And as we have things like virtual reality, not even talking about like gaming with it, but as alternate experiences from the analog world that we live in, maybe that's going to, it's going to become more important than the analog one. Maybe we're going to turn into the people that are sitting on the toilet, um, being fed intravenously mm -hmm. and just like jacked in, you know, like, w we spend our entire lives jacked in and fuck it. Maybe we already are. Mm -hmm. And that part to a certain degree, that's terrifying. Not knowing it's not, if that's the reality of it, well, fuck it. That's the reality of it. Maybe yeah. I feel better being lied to, but the terrifying thing is the not knowing. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't know. <coughs> Excuse me. It's okay. No. Yeah. Well, it's weird. Life's weird. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, th I thought this whole would be, this thing would be a, an interesting subject tonight to talk about. Mm -hmm. And starting with Westworld, goddammit. Yeah. And we, we sure yeah. did. And, <laughs> um, and I had one hell of a time doing it. Yeah. And hopefully we can do it again. Yeah. Um, one more, just one quick thing. Like the okay. people are talking about automation and kind of like where we go. I don't know. You, sh you should look into like the living wage uh, kind of stuff or guaranteed wages. Um, mm -hmm. And well, th this is something that my brother and I have uh, talked about and we'll probably talk about um, as we as I record another podcast with him. Mm -hmm. uh, over the next few days, uh, we're going to be talking about politics and stuff like that. Well, uh, like, what is it? The universal basic income stuff. Yes. Well, so it's just I've I've definitely heard about people talking about VR and kind of like checking out of reality um, in a way just it's basically in a pretty similar way to what we talked about tonight. Um, but I've heard people talk about that before. So I'll, I'll look around. I think it might have been on Vox. Okay. Uh, I don't know if you ever read Vox or not. Like Vox, like Vulpus, Sometimes I Vulpus, do. not like Fox News or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or Vox. V is in, no, is in very... That. Yeah, yeah. Vox is in Vox Populi, not Vulpus, Vulpus. Yes, yes, yes. Um, but yeah, no. yeah, I'll, I'll look around for that for you. Because I've definitely read people uh, talking about that before, and I thought it was pretty interesting. Yeah. Well, so what? So I think he and I talked about it um, in episode zero back uh, at the end of December, um, where the idea of you know, for me, uh, UBI worries me a little bit, uh, just because of like the experiences that I've had living here in the Bay Area and watching rents go up. Mm -hmm. And why did rents go up? Rents went up because people started making more money because the companies that they 
that they work for technology companies, which are based in the, the Bay Area, had become global companies, were able to make money through things like the App Store globally. So things like Facebook, all of a sudden Facebook and, and Google, they're making a fuck ton of money. And they're paying their, their employees pretty well. They're saying, hey, you know what? We are doing really well. We're going to pay you uh, well enough. We're going to pay you an appropriate wage uh, based on the performance of the company financially. Which I think, like, really for those employees, I think that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. But the thing that sucks is that the people who own property that are renting and trying to get these engineers that work down in the valley trying to say, hey, you should come live in this apartment, which is okay in San Francisco because San Francisco is okay. It's maybe there's more, more going on than down in the valley. And they know how much money that the engineers are making because the companies are making so much money. And I, excuse me, and this goes for stuff like Apple as well. And what they do is they go, okay, well, you, an individual, you're, 20, you're 23 years old, you don't know shit from shit, you work for a software uh, company in the Valley, you're making $120,000 a year, $150,000 a year, $200,000 a year, whatever. You know what? You're making a fuck ton of money, comparatively speaking. I'm going to rent an apartment to you. I want a cut of that. Mm-hmm. I want, so I'm going to charge you $4,000 a month for a studio or something stupid like that. And they're doing it because they can. And what yeah. worries well, me about universal basic income is if everyone has an extra $1,500 a month, who is to say that the rent isn't just going to go up by $1,500 a month? It might. I mean, so it all comes down to competition, you know, like the reason people are getting paid so much at tech companies is because it's hard to hire people to do that job. Like there's a limited pool of people and they are like, okay, well, we'll give you 300K a year because you're good at doing this. It's the same thing with San Francisco. There's a limited number of apartments uh, and people want to live there because they don't want to live in dumb Silicon Valley. They want to, like San Francisco is basically Silicon Valley's like weekend playground, you know? Yeah. That's why it's all yeah. restaurants. Um, and there's limited land there. So yeah, it sucks. It's really expensive now, but when the dot-com boom bust happened, rents got cheap again. Right now we're in like the app bust or we're in the app boom. And when that busts, it'll get cheap again, probably too. So, um, yeah, I, I would like to be hopeful, but I I think based on the experiences I've had, it's made me a little bit cynical, and maybe I'm just a little bit cautious. Yeah, uh, and well, just so yeah. the the UBI thing, it's it's not something that needs to happen now because there are mm-hmm. jobs available for people. But mm-hmm. when that balance shifts. And it, it's important we think about it now because sooner or later the balance is going to shift and mm-hmm. there aren't going to be enough jobs where even if you don't want to work like a service industry job or whatever, like there's just not going to be a position available for everyone who lives in the country. So I think it's an important thing to think about for when the country gets to that point. But um, I don't see it as a pressing issue right now either as no, nice sure. as it would be for like you know artists and stuff like friends who who don't mm-hmm. have like a stable income i but, mean even even me i think it would be fantastic to have an extra fifteen hundred dollars a month yeah man i uh who what i could do with an extra fifteen hundred dollars a month like like thinking entrepreneurially mm-hmm. like what could what what uh what equipment could i purchase um 
Uh-huh. What materials could I purchase? And what could I do with those? What what sort of manufacturing could I start at home? And it's like fuck it, like starting an Etsy shop. And how could I become more and more uh, productive in doing that sort of stuff? But yeah, I I don't think it's something that's going to happen anytime soon. Mm-hmm. And like as you were saying, it's it's not something that's pressing, and, mm-hmm. but it's something to start thinking about. Yeah. And I, I I think we're gonna have to just gonna have to be careful with it because. All, all of a sudden giving you know let, let's assume that by the time that that happens the population in the united states has grown to a half a billion of people mm-hmm. and if that's the case you're giving a half a billion people fifteen hundred dollars a month what does that do with inflation like mm-hmm. and it, it gets into economics it's going to change uh, a lot of so, things but yeah. when it comes down to it fifteen hundred dollars is a lot of choco tacos <laughs> a lot of choco tacos yeah and with that, I think that we have the name of the uh, the episode tonight. So, Nailed it. Yeah. Well, Grant, thank you very much for, for agreeing to jump on tonight and talk about this stuff. And uh, Always a pleasure. As I think about some of these more heady sort of subjects, um, I'll definitely run them by and see if you want to come back on. Cool. And I, I totally appreciate you coming on. Um, yeah. And uh, with that, I bid you a good evening, sir. Bye-bye.